0: Hello and welcome to the Shepherd Walwyn podcast series. My name is Jonathan Brown. Shepherd Walwyn is a campaigning book publisher based in London, England. Our purpose is to uncover and promote new ideas to society's oldest problems. And whilst our specialty is ethical economics, something Anthony Werner, our driving force for over 40 years has pioneered, we have branched out over the years to other related areas such as the environment and the lives and works of society's change agents. These podcasts promote ideas we're convinced can actually help us build a better society for all of us. So have a listen and be sure to share with your friends if you like them, but also tell us what you think. These are debates we all need to be part of. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. This week, we're speaking with one of our most popular authors, economist and investor Phil Anderson. Phil wrote The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking in 2008, which documented the boom bust cycles in the US land and property values over the last 250 years. Phil is an in-demand speaker on the international conference circuit and he spends his time travelling between Europe, Asia and his home country of Australia. He's also the founder of Property Share Market Economics, a subscription service for investors looking for advice on global market movements. Phil, welcome to the podcast. First of all, um, just for people who don't know you, um so the book on, on The Secret Life is about the American land and property market and how it moves in approximately 18 year cycles. Um before we get into the ideas around that, I wonder if you could just tell us just what brought you to that area, how you work what work was it your work, was it a hobby? What was it that got you interested?
1: Well I should say I should say as well. Um when we did the when we did the reprint of the book we we added the word banking To the name because um, after the downturn of 2008 or so um, everybody blamed the banks Um, and uh, that's typical of one reason i got got into things because uh, you know when i was much younger i uh, took the time to travel right around the world and I, i made a pledge to myself that i wasn't coming home until i actually understood how the world worked and uh, one thing led to another. I ended up in Nepal and then China and then India. And I'm very happy to say that I, I didn't quite get how the world worked when I came back, but I knew I had roughly the answer and I knew the answer resolved in land. And uh, so I did some political stuff and in Australia back then, you know, we're talking, we're talking the late 1980s now. Um, <clears throat> I stood for Parliament, and when you stand for Parliament, you get lots and lots of stuff that people send you. And I got a little book sent to me by um, a group, an unheard-of group called the Henry George League, and they sent me a little pamphlet about um, Winston Churchill and some of the things Winston Churchill had to say. Back in those days, back in those days, I was a bit, um, a bit anarchy- anarchistic, Really, I, I, and I still am. I don't. I'm not a big rule follower. I don't think society has to have all the rules that we've got. And, um, but the reason we have rules is because nobody's accepting responsibility for their action, of course, Jonathan, as you know. Um, so I got this book and I was never going to read Winston Churchill because I thought he was a right wing lunatic, and so I threw it out. But somehow the book just fell out of another book I was reading, so clearly I didn't throw it out so well. Um, so I thought that was a bit synchronistic, so I read it, and it was Winston Churchill's uh, explanation of of the his government's effort to remove a toll on the bridge over the Thames and uh, Winston Churchill and those in government at the time the Liberals they they wanted to they generally had a sympathetic view for some of the poorer people and they removed the toll on that bridge people crossing over from one side to the other and they found just a few weeks later that the rents that people were paying had risen by the amount of the toll that was taken off and that's a little story of one of Churchill used to give to his constituents, and there it was. Um, I saw eternity in an instant. Really, it became obvious, uh, if it wasn't already, that um, it was a land question about the way the world worked. Uh, And then I had my book. You know, then I knew. Then I knew. um, I knew after that. I knew after that revelation. I knew what I had to do, and that's been the sole function and purpose of um, what I've done since I was about twenty-four. I'm very thankful for that, for that moment because it gives great purpose to your life and I think one of the keys of why we're here is to find out why you're here. Um so I'm thankful for that and um the books the result really of uh, what I saw in my travels and then how it panned out. So um it's been good.
0: And and your family was in uh, owned it was in a business that 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 had a lot of real estate.
1: Yes, well, uh, still do. Um, that uh, that was one thing that led to it as well. There was, uh, you know, we we were having in the in the, the night the very early 1990s downturn was probably most severe in Melbourne, Australia, of all places, which is where our family had our business. Um, our business was in ladies' lingerie, of all things, and embroidery. Um, uh, so we had to have answers because as it turned out, the business that we ran, the family business, tended to do quite well in downturns because uh, um, women have tended to buy more lingerie and lipstick in downturns, um, which is good for us. Uh, But we had, because it was good for us, it kept our bank account liquid and the banks in the very early 1990s noticed that the banks, one or or two of the banks in Australia were bankrupt. Um, They don't tell you that in the public, but we know they were because... a number of bank managers in those banks approached us to try and take off some of their some of their um, surplus property if we could maintain the loans Um, I won't go into all the details but uh, we managed that okay and and um, uh, built a bit more of our portfolio Um, but it led to all sorts of questions about uh, could we afford it what was coming next was it possible to even know what was coming next um, and then had to work out what that meant and what we could do with that information. And it was it was bef- just as those questions were being asked, mm-hmm. I had begun to read Fred Harrison's um, The Power in the Land. And uh, you know, um, as you know, Jonathan, because I know you've read that as well. Um, it was an unbelievable book because it came out in 1993 and was for- had forecast seven years in advance exactly what we were seeing now. And that chimed with me as well because uh, I did economics at school. Um, that was my favourite subject. And I said to myself, one day I'm going to work out how this works. It's, that's the major reason why I went overseas. Uh, I came back with the basic question about real estate and land. Uh, and it just, you know, one thing led to another. I, you know, I can see sometimes you wonder whether you're meant to be in certain places. Um, and it all came together. And you know, um, from there it wasn't hard to uh, start researching and uh, put two and two together, and you could see how it all worked and I was delighted that then I'd got onto land and churchill and and um, uh, Henry George and then uh, uh, Fred Harrison and then I could see um, I could see once I'd put Fred Harrison's book into my head, I, I could see that there was a there was probably a business here for me because. Um, as I discovered in the family business I'm probably unemployable I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not exactly a person that you can always tell what to do I I like being in charge of my own destiny and I do like to make the decisions that I'm concerned in uh, with regards to my own work Uh, the knowledge from Fred gave me a clear ability to be able to then work for myself and start my own stuff um, which I went ahead and did. Uh, Again which I'm Thankful that came about. Um, the idea of the book was never at that stage, 1991. I didn't have an idea of a book, uh, just to be able to run my own business and teach people how to understand the cycles as such. Um, I didn't actually even start with real estate first. I started with my uh, favourite person, um, Nikolai Kondratiev, who I'd been I'd been researching for years, uh, even at uh, school. I Made some stuff with um, long-term, long-term economic stuff on um, prices, uh, in particular, go- in particular gold. Um, I remember I was must have been 13 or 14, I think, and I was already uh, looking at stock markets and prices. Um, the first, the first stock I studied was Renison Goldfield. I think it was 20 cents. and Some days it was 22, some days 25, other days went down at 18. I just thought to myself, um, if I could ever, if I could sell at twenty and uh, buy at twenty and sell at twenty-two, I'd never have to work again. Of course, it's not as easy as that. But um, so I already knew and was aware of Contrary F and the long, the long commodity cycle, thirty years up, um, thirty years down of, of basic commodities. So uh, it, it wasn't hard for me to then uh, start the business and then incorporate real estate cycles into that. Um, I discovered that. Uh, you can basically get you get three real estate cycles in the K wave, the um, commodity price, and you know I was off and running and um, talking about cycles and and um, doing what I love. Um, you know I discovered it with all, some of the books I've been reading. It's uh, it's not um, you know it's all very well to to try and to try and uh, uh, be passionate about what you do, but in the finish um, to really to really be able to work for yourself properly, you've got to be You've got to be able to monetize your passion, um, and uh, fortunately, I've been able to do that so far.
0: And that's through through um, investing and trading, and well, just uh,
1: just no, even it's just about understanding how the world works, how the economic side of stuff works. Um, once you see that there is a rhythm to a lot of the activity that takes place in economics. Um, you know, the bigger price movements, first of all, and then once you see the rhythm with the real estate cycle, and then, of course, you get to the aspect of, of where true power lies, which is being control of control of rent, or, or economists call it economic rent. Um, once you see that, and once you see when you, once you see, as I explain in the book, once you see that when the rent, the economic, <coughs> the economic rent is enclosed, you must get a real estate cycle, um, then it just allows you to see all through the nonsense of economics, the stupidity of politicians, uh, why we get the governments that we do, uh, why we get tyrants, why we get dictators. Um, you know, it's it's just so easy to see through all of that. Once you see uh, the cycle and once you see the real estate cycle, how it turns and why, and why it must continue to turn when we enclose the... Uh, economic rent, um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's um, that's the whole thing. It's, it just puts it all together. So I, I thought I could run a business along those lines explaining it to people.
0: So I know that the, the, the people that already follow you will understand um, clearly what enclosing the rent means. Um, I just wonder if you could tell us, first of all, what is rent as, as you define it? Because obviously I, I pay rent on that, we pay rent on houses, um, but I know that's not exactly what, what you mean. And also, then, and what's what's enclosing the rent? Well, it's
1: uh, it's very it's like riding a bike. It's very easy to do once you get it. Once you actually, but you've actually got to get on the bike and work out how to balance. But economic rent, as such, um, let me give you a very, very um, easy example, and it just concerns um, again uh, something I put in the book. It just concerns uh, the people who get onto the streets and sell a magazine called The Big Issue. When that first came out uh, in the United States, I think it was first, probably even San Francisco, uh, it, um, it was a, a guy who wanted to do something for all the homeless people. So he said, well, let's get them selling a magazine. They can sell it on the streets. So he produced a ma- they produced a magazine. He they, they gave it to the homeless people to sell on the streets. Naturally, those people selling this uh, big issue They were very quick to realize that you can sell more copies if you're in the CBD or on a street corner where more people walk past you than the amount of copies you might sell if you're standing outside your own house uh, in a neighborhood that doesn't have a lot of people walking down. So it was discovered that some of the sellers would start, they started to fight over the best locations and so it's that willingness of people to pay for the better locations that gives rise to what is called in economic terms economic rent. It's just simply the amount of money over and above the wage that people will earn from the best location. Um, Again, uh, Another way to put it, I guess, is what um, Winston Churchill was trying to suggest, uh, and he was trying to show people that at the end of the day, it is the rent we pay that will take all the gains of society. So when his government took the the toll off the bridge, landlords were very quick to realise that people would have an extra sixpence in their pocket. Um, every week so that's what they put the rent up by and because um, the best locations were near the access point in the bridge so the rents went up so that's basically what we're trying to talk about is basically is is locational value the amount of money that people are willing to pay um, over and above uh, what they could earn from what might be called the margin, which is where they just earn a, earn a, can sell enough magazines to um, basically make a living.
0: And enclosing the rent?
1: Well, enclosure means that uh, historically, historically, particularly if we, if we go back to London of the 13 and 1400s, um, historically, most people or a person living in a village could, if they wanted to, go to the commons and do some farming or hunt or fish because it was commons land. But then um, once Henry VIII took over and he sold off the land for the monasteries and took it all for himself and his his own um, bishops and cronies, um, it was sold off and fenced which means that which which meant that if you wanted access to that land that formerly was commons that you could walk walk on at will uh it had now been privatized bought and sold so you had to pay somebody for the right to go and trespass uh, on that former commons land and now it's just considered normal that we buy and sell all sorts of bits and pieces of parcels and land and everything else and um, whereas it really isn't so normal but today it's considered normal you have when you're born you have to buy your access and um, that's what we do that enclosure started and still does cause the turning of the real estate cycle when you get that when you see it it's blindingly obvious that's what causes the cycle that is the cycle and uh, the cycle will continue to turn whilst that happens. And of course, as I um, detail in the book, you know, it's one of the first things I say, the book came out in 2000, 2008 and 2009, but I, I tell people quite clearly right at the start, the cycle will go global. Russia, China, and India will join the cycle more and more as they have. And this will create um, even bigger cycles in the 21st century. We can see now that after 2008, like I said in the book that the next cycle, the one we're in now, will be even bigger than the last one. Look what we've got! Land prices have doubled since then. The debt has gone just right over the top debt for, debt for private enterprise, debt for government, um, and here we are in another, in the second half of another cycle. It's all uh, it's all playing out.
0: Mm-hmm. So, thinking at looking at the book, then. Um, it's a it's quite a weighted tome. It's just under five hundred yeah, pages, I think, isn't it? Forty something pages. Four hundred forty yeah. pages. So, what was your process of writing the book?
1: Um, uh, the book came out. It it was easy. What there wasn't anything there wasn't anything tough about the book. The book had to come out. It was there. Um,
0: although, what what does that mean? So it was, it was. Well, I'd i ri- had been writing for
1: my subscribers. i have been teaching. Okay. I'd been teaching people right through. From a, from from 1991, when I first went into my own business in a place called uh, Ross House, there in Flinders Lane, Melbourne, and you know my, my place is, my small little place is still there, although I've expanded internationally somewhat since then in a few places, a few different places now where I've got staff. Um, the I was already writing stuff. I, I was busy, you know. Gosh, I've, gosh, things have changed. You know, I started off the, the first business it was explaining the f wave to. Commodity companies, uh, Western Mining, some of the banks, National Bank, they had the headquarters next to mine in those days. Um, and in that in those days, the big corporations used to have a library. So I wrote to all the libraries and um, um, explained to them what I did and that it was necessary. They should take out a subscription, and, and they did. Um, I was very fortunate that that started me off, really, um, with all those uh, subscriptions to basically it was the chondritic wave in the beginning. And then I added the real estate cycle. So I was already writing for my subscribers. So, so the book was sort of, without a, thinking of it as a book, it was coming out in bits and pieces. Um, then, of course, uh, Mark Andreessen, uh, he put out Netscape, which, which, um, which uh, Microsoft eventually bought. Um, and that put pictures onto, onto, uh, onto the internet in 1995. I had a website suddenly. Um, people, you know, I was one of the first people in Australia probably to have a, to have an have a, um, email address on my business card. Everybody used to ask me what it was, what it was meant for. By 1997, nobody was mailing things in the post anymore. I had email addresses for all my subscribers and I no longer had to put stuff in an envelope. Uh was going out, you know, your, your business changed with the whole thing. That allowed me to expand um, a good deal. Uh, and reach more people, of course. Um, so it was already sort of underway, and I was—I've said this before—I was fortunate enough to have one or two subscribers come to me. You know, um, Gabby was one long-time subscriber. Um, she said, "Phil, you've got to you got to write a book." Uh, and I was—I'm eternally grateful for that uh, idea being put into my head because uh, you know, by two thousand and. I had enough that was really all all there. It was just a matter of putting it together and then getting it into a into a document that made a bit of sense. Then having somebody look at it, you know, and I was fortunate to get um, an editor, Jean, here uh, that um, was then able to um, nicely, uh, relentlessly criticize me because she said i I'd, I'd written the book as though I was presenting it, and that's not how people read it. So I then I had to go away and redo the whole thing just about and then I had um, a couple of other people suggest different format changes and then and then one or two people suggested um, you know put it into three sequences uh, current uh, the present the past and the future and stuff uh, and I thought it I was very happy with it overall when it came out um, and I'd had good uh, feedback so the book was progressively put together but of course you know as um as I'm, as you know it's a uh, uh, the first one's always a labor of love in a way, and it, it took me 10 years in the finish to actually have it all properly put together. But I was very happy how it came out um, because it's not, uh, you know, 440 pages. It's not a difficult read. It's it's much of its history. And um, I had one person describe it as a page turner even. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that's a history book like that. Um, that's not a bad effort, really.
0: Um what was, l- looking at that that process of, the know, so you're doing, you're writing regularly for your subscribers, sharing ideas and seeing what resonates and what doesn't. I guess improving your communication, and then you've got your your three to four years of intensive from 2004, mm. um, I guess to 2007, wouldn't it? Really yes, looking yes. at publication. Yeah. Um, what um, were some of the most surprising things you learned in writing your book? Uh,
1: I learned one basic
0: thing from all of that.
1: Uh, from all the history, especially the U.S. history, I learned that every cycle found a way to complete. That's what I learned. And that gave me great confidence to be able to forecast after 2007 uh, what would happen. So 2009, 2010, 2011, uh, you may recall when absolutely everybody was, was forecasting the end of the world, currencies would collapse there'd be new currencies uh, that America would never recover that um, Europe would implode that the uh, the euro would would disintegrate um, I could see that the real estate cycle was going to recover and find a way to go on to bigger and better things I could see eventually that that would be all that would be put in the past I didn't i I, I, I wasn't able to say and I'm that exactly how that would happen and what sort of people would come along I just knew that um, it was going to happen and it will happen um, it will continue to happen the real estate cycle just finds a way to complete and of course one of the one of the biggest factors in why that is so uh, is the banks the banks just the banks have now found a way to collect The rent—it's rent in parlance. It's economic rent, really, the official term. The banks have found a way to securitize and mortgage that, such that they're now the owners of much of the rent. They're never going to give that up without a fight, and it guarantees that the cycle is going to complete. It's just—it's just there's just just absolutely no doubt about this. Um, The biggest surprise for me uh, once I learned that. the cycle is definitely going to repeat. To repeat, the, the cycle just finds a way to do that. The biggest fri- surprise for me is why so few people get to see it, and why so why so people why people can't get their head around it.
0: Right. And so, and the, the people who who do tend to get their head around it, your ideal readers, then who are they, and and what do they what do they look for in the book? What what draws them to it?
1: Oh, they come from all backgrounds. Uh, I get um, finance people, obviously, that. Um, that uh, that really do seriously want to make an intensive effort um, to try to understand to get to the bottom of things. Um, I might get people on the left of the spectrum that just simply want to a- understand stuff. Um, I also get other people that want to actually do something with it um, as such from a from a causal point of view and actually try and um, to try and uh, understand how easy it would be to actually shift the tax base um, from the stupid system we've got now and actually use the immense economic rent that's available to all people to actually start to use that as a as a fund uh, um, for people to collect some sort of um, citizens dividend and then you could, and then you could uh, completely eliminate all taxes on, on labour and all taxes on business um, you know, I would have thought that's an idea that's self-evident, but um, uh, apparently not. So I get all sorts of people that um, um, come to me um, with uh, from all sorts of different aspects. There's no—I wouldn't say I've got one average uh, person as such. I, I do get a good deal of feedback from it though, and I'm grateful for the feedback. Uh, what makes me most happiest is is when I hear from people that say they they, they say, "Phil, I'm so your book has." Your book has um, uh, allowed me to take all the stress out of my life. I don't have to worry now about how the system functions. I can see through it. And since now I've got a a larger time frame to operate in and be more certain about what's going to happen, it just gives me much more ability to stop worrying about my investments and actually give me the ability to do some long-term planning. They're the people that make me um, happiest in one sense, because that's what I've been able to do. It's one reason I wrote the book. Um, it was just to to allow people to take back control of of their understanding of things and not get stressed, not worry about um, why things happen, why things happen as they do, and why politicians do what they do, and why we've got such stupid taxes and everything else. So they now th- they can work through that system, they can see through it, they can work around it, and say, yeah, you know, I get a I much longer time frame. I don't need to worry about um, about what's coming next because uh, I've got a very good idea of what's coming next. You know, I, I had a lot of a lot of my subscribers, hundreds, hundreds. We all knew, we all knew that, uh, well, we all had a great idea, the way things were going, um, that the economy would peak in 2019. It, it wasn't hard to work out, yes? And then you just wait for whatever might cause a downturn, which came along on time, 2020. You can plan for that now. Uh, now, all the same people, and, and I hope that more that join me um, through, through uh, my website at Property Share Market Economics. Um, you can plan for, you can plan for uh, 2026 and beyond now. It's, it's, it's uh, just something that's not hard to do. Um, you know, of course, obviously, it's not guaranteed 120% set in stone, but everything you see around you, as you know, um, is really setting us up for, for the, the stuff that's coming and it just takes all your stress away from all that planning you can just mm. give yourself some guidance and, and allowance and, um, and get into it
0: so what are you working on on at the moment um, well I've been
1: right at the moment I've got a I've got an update coming it's going to be an e- a little e-book that I want to get out hopefully in a, the next few months uh, bringing the book a bit of sort of like an additional chapter um, I don't really want to do another hard copy book adding to it as such. We'll probably do a probably do a chapter that's um, an e-book and uh, add to that. Um, I've also got some some stuff now that i my, my passion now is really what's called a, a citizen's dividend. Um, I really, no, I can take that back even one step further. Um, it's not just a citizen's dividend. Um, my passion now would be the complete utter and absolute total elimination and abolition of government that would be my um, that is my passion um and you do that through the impl- implementation of of a citizen's dividend it was um a very good mate of mine jeff smith uh, in the us in portland i think he's still there uh, he wanders around a bit um who coined the term citizen's dividend actually and uh it's a great it's a great term um, it's a it's a it's a a payment that a communal fund could make to a citizen yearly. Alaska does it. All Alaskans receive about $1,500 US from their uh, Alaska City Council, uh, which they can use as they want. Um, I show in my citizens dividend stuff. Uh, there's a Facebook page if people want to get to it. Um, I show them how that fund that the economic rent can be collected by a citizen's dividend when you do that uh, you could make the world much more local uh, you can collect the economic rent in a local fashion distribute it back to small locations and regions and then people can re- be responsible for themselves as to as to what they do with that they don't need a government um, making laws and telling them what to do all the time you know and um, that's been a long term a long time thing of mine I found you know I spent in my very early twenties I, I took two years out and I, I travelled right round the world um, And everything I saw just about all the people you spoke to everywhere it didn't matter what country they were in all they really wanted was to, 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 to raise a family on a small plot of land with a nice house free of free of interference they didn't want to be told by government what to do and they they just like living in a, in small communities as such in, in regions where they they found they could associate with people. It's the same all over the world, and here we are at the moment. Um, you've got threats from everywhere from from uh, big business owning only you know we've probably got what eight nine ten major corporations own all our food supply now. Uh, we, we've got uh, we've got just major banks uh, that pretty much own uh, the central banks. We've got we've got. Um, Larger and larger corporations now buying, buying thousands, if not millions, of homes, and then list on the, on the stock market. They're collecting the rent. You know, is this, is that the way forward that the majority of people really want? And I don't think it is. People I talk to, they, they, uh, they don't want to see big corporations owning their lives. They certainly don't want the intrusions now that the government taking over the internet um, with facial recognition and, um, and. Um, being trolled and trawled and, and um all your business known everywhere now and you know and oh, it's just it's going on and on and on. Um, I don't know Jonathan, maybe I'm getting, maybe I'm getting too old but but um, that's a large part of my time spent now. It's it's just highlighting to people the how you society does not need government to function. It simply doesn't. But this idea now—it is—it just seems for most people so far-fetched. We just seem so enamored and 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 uh, our, our, our shoulders bearing, you know, carrying the weight of government on us now. They they don't seem to recognise and get that um, that we don't need uh, we don't need government the way it is these days. We don't need it to actually function properly. But on the other hand, um, people would have to understand that the. The communal fund is the citizens' dividend, and it comes from funded out of economic rent. So um, they're going to have to give up some of their property speculation to actually um, make that happen. And of course, um, you know the big boys—they sit in the House of Lords and they and they own big corporations and and and, you know the 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 major banks—they're not going to give that up without uh, in a hurry. But you know, part of the education once people get to see it, though, it's just you know put it another way: society today is. Economics today, society in general, it's built on scarcity. Not only scarcity, everything you see in the media now and and, um, and the current all the COVID stuff, it's it's built on fear. You know, and, and um, I try to tell people you don't need to be part of that. You know, base your life in abundance. That's part of what I was trying to write with in the in the book. You know, the secret life. Um, get to understand the system, work out how it functions, and you can live your life in abundance. It's just so important that people that people do that, and I'm hopeful that more and more people will continue to do that and eventually see the light and start to start to push for for um, less and less government intrusion into their lives. But the way society's winding up winding up at the moment, we're going going in the completely wrong direction. So anyway, that's my that's my bit
0: on the mm. whole thing. Great. And, and where can people find out more?
1: Well, you can find out more for at, um Shepherd Walwyn which is where the which is the publisher of the book, and you can find out more at um, Property Share Market Economics, which is the service I run with um, Akhil and Kathy and and a few others. Or they can, of course, uh, go to the Facebook page, um, Citizens Dividend Facebook page. They can get me on there too, and and I encourage them to do that. You'll start seeing the world in a um, completely different, uh, a completely different way. Um,
0: That'll be fabulous. Well, Phil, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you very much for your time and attention. We really appreciate it. Now, if you haven't already got a copy of Phil's book, you can find it at our website, shepherdwallwind.com, and from all good bookshops. So please check it out, and also look out for a series of chats with Phil, exploring his ideas and his work more deeply. Thank you. Until next time, keep reading. Thank you for listening to the Shepherd Wallwind podcast. To explore these ideas further, be sure to visit our website, www.shepardwalwin.com and join our mailing list for news and special offers. Check out our authors and buy the books to learn more. And you can also find us on social media. Links are also on the website. And if you like the podcast, please head over to iTunes or Spotify to give us a review. It's surprisingly helpful in getting the ideas out there. So until next time, keep reading.